0: You are listening to the Dr. Michelle Corral Show. It is our prayer that as you listen to these podcasts, that you will receive your deliverance, breakthrough, anointing, and highest destiny. Our prayer is that your love for Jesus Christ be first in your life above all things. Now, here's Dr. Corral.
1: scripture that we're not going to use at all today unless the Spirit of God changes directions. We use the scripture today as a foundation because we are going to continue in the context of where we left off last week in the theme, Possessing the Presence of God. Now, we have shared with you over these days and over these weeks uh, uh, many, many teachings on prayer and how the ultimate reason for prayer is to possess the presence of God. It is not just to only have our petitions answered, but it is to become possessed by the presence of God in our life. And we see that when Daniel was willing to pay such a price for prayer, Prayer was the priority in his life. We saw several things that we looked at last week and that we also looked at Wednesday night. Number one, that prayer positions us in a place of power. It positions you in a place of rulership and authority. That when you have a prayer life, you have been positioned in a place of power. We saw this in the whole text of daniel we used it in in the supernatural in the supernatural steps beginning with how the king set daniel over the whole realm because he was a prayer warrior because prayer was the priority in his life and jesus christ will place you in a place and in a position high above all principality and power secondly we saw that he was willing to make prayer the priority of his life it was the most important thing in his life and he was lowered into the den of lions I want you to know that there is an assignment to put your prayer life in confinement touch your neighbor and say there will be an assignment to put my prayer life in confinement. Daniel being lowered into the lion's den was an assignment to stop him from praying. It was to intimidate him. It was to throw him off. It was to sidetrack him. And some of you have been sidetracked with trials and tribulations. Lions have come at you. You've been sidetracked with the things of this world trying to come at you or things that the enemy wants to threaten you with. Things that he tells you that if you if you pray, you're gonna lose these things. But Daniel was willing to pay the price and he overcame the assignment to put his prayer life in confinement and the Bible tells us that he knowing that the decree was signed opened his window and prayed three times a day as he did a four time and gave thanks unto God he turned his face toward Jerusalem and and gave thanks unto God amen now we need to see the third thing that prayer does prayer not only positions us in a place of power and prayer the, the prayer of Daniel uh, caused him to overcome the assignment that would put his prayer life in confinement we saw that and then we saw the third thing that that uh, the supernatural stage of prayer and that was in the book of daniel that prayer will prosper you into the predestined plan of god we saw this in daniel chapter 6 verse 28 the bible says so daniel prospered in the reigns of king uh, the, of, of king darius and cyrus king of persia Now, today, we're going to see how Daniel not only graduated in the grace of God, that after he went through the ordeal and he overcame the assignment to put his prayer life in confinement, that he came into a place in prayer that few ever come into. He came into a place that he no longer was just placing petition before God. Notice that in Daniel chapter 6 verse 10 we were reading that Daniel made his petition before God but now He is going into a predestined place. He is graduating in the grace of God. He's coming into a supernatural stage of prayer that few enter into. He's now beginning to come into a realm that few can walk in. Because in Daniel chapter 9, he now makes his supplication for the whole nation of Israel. And he becomes the intercessor of exile. He releases the captives out of exile. He becomes the intercessor that begins to shift the season and fulfill what God has written about the nation of Israel. And today I'm going to talk to you about the power of intercession. Somebody needs to give God the praise. Hallelujah. I want you to open with me to the book of Job, the first chapter and the 10th verse, because we are going to see today four things about the intercessor that I pray today that God reveals to you by the power of his spirit, because the intercessor builds the hedge of heaven. Say this with me. I want to be an intercessor that builds the hedge of heaven. You see, an intercessor has been given a great grace from God. You see, there is a reversal in the role of an intercessor. Please listen to to this. The intercessor reverses the role in prayer. You see, the average Christian in prayer prays for what he desires. The average Christian prays in prayer the desires of his heart, what he desires, what he wants to see done, what he thinks should be done. But the intercessor has reversed roles. The intercessor now bears the burden of heaven and prays what heaven is asking. Hello, somebody. There's a reversal in the role. I hope somebody's hearing this today. Because so many of us have spent our life praying only for our own needs, our own wants, what we want to see done. But now there is a time that the Lord is calling his people into intercession. And we need to understand that the intercessor experiences a role reversal. The intercessor now takes on the burdens of heaven and begins to pray what heaven is asking. I hope somebody's hearing this. They don't request their own request. They are requesting on behalf of heaven. Say this with me. The intercessor is the builder of the heavenly hedge. Now Job knew that there was a hedge, or Satan knew that there was a hedge around Job. And he could not touch Job until the hedge was down. I'm going to say this again. You're going to see this in Job chapter 1 verse 10. You all know the story of Job, how the sons of God presented themselves before the Lord. And the Lord would constantly say, have you considered my servant Job? How that he is blameless and he walks before me so uprightly. And the devil confronted the almighty and said, you have a hedge around him, but if you remove that hedge and allow me to attack him, there is something about the heavenly hedge that brings a protection. And you have to understand that as a hedge builder, a heavenly hedge builder, touch your neighbor and say the intercessor is the heavenly hedge builder. Hallelujah. Look at this in Job chapter one. I want you to see it in verse 10 because we're going to see this today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because a hedge was the supernatural protection that God put around Job. Hallelujah. Verse 10 says, when, when Satan confronted God, and, 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 um, and the, Lord, the Lord said, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan answered back, verse 10, Have you not made a hedge about him and his house? and all that he hath on every side. So we know that continuing on, that if you read it, Job was blessed with substance, Job was blessed with finances, Job was blessed with everything that he needed. Why? Because there was a hedge around him there is something about the hedge that becomes the supplier of the Spirit that provides everything that you need, that makes you filled with the wealth and the riches of what God wants to put in his ministry and in his kingdom. And Satan said, I can't touch him till the hedge is down. You've got to understand that the intercessor builds the heavenly hedge so that the enemy cannot penetrate or devastate the work of God yeah. say this with me, Father God I pray today that you make me a heavenly hedge builder see, watch this look at Job 1.10 and look at it again it says, have you not made a hedge about him, circle that word hedge Satan, see, see, Satan couldn't attack him He wanted to, but he couldn't till the hedge is down. Have you not made a hedge about him and his house? Oh, my God in heaven. And about all that he hath on every side, that thou hast blessed the work of his hands. This is what the hedge does. And his substance is increased in the land. How God, through the power of intercession, increases. He blesses the house. He protects everything in the ha- in, in, from the hand of heaven. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 13. And you are going to see that the reason why Israel went into captivity in the first place is because the hedge broke down. I hope somebody's hearing this. Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 5 is going to show us how there were no heavenly hedge builders in the land. Say this with me, Holy Ghost, make me a heavenly hedge builder. Ezekiel 13 verse 5 says, You have not gone up into the gaps, neither have you made up the hedge. For the house of Israel to stand in the day of battle because if the hedge had been made up then then there could not have been an attack of the Babylonians against Israel you've got to hear this the Babylonians could not come in till the hedge was broken i I don't know if you heard me or not so let me just say this again the babylonians could not come in and destroy the land until the hedge was broken let me say this one more time the book of ezekiel in its context is all about the glory of god lifting off the city of jerusalem in various stages but the glory lifted Because there were no intercessors in the city to keep the hedge built around the city. And once the hedge broke, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem. I know I'm gonna get somewhere later. Look at it again. Ezekiel 13:5. You have not gone up into the gaps, neither have you made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the day of battle. Watch this from Ecclesiastes 10.8, because once the hedge is broken, the serpent can come in. This is what the Bible says. Whosoever breaketh a hedge, Ezekiel 10.8, a serpent will bite him. Continue on with me so that you understand what a hedge is. And I, I want you to go with me to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22 and look at verse 30 because it's very close in context to Ezekiel 13. Watch this. Notice Ezekiel 13:5 is is almost an exact rabbinic remez. It it, it com- it's compared in context exactly twice. Ezekiel is saying the reason the city was invaded because there was no hedge. There was no heavenly hedge. Satan could not attack Job till the hedge was down. Hello, somebody. So that means when we are intercessors, our mission is to build the heavenly hedge because Satan has no power. He has no authority, and he absolutely is completely illegal, and he will never be able to attack a hedge. That's why I say to my intercessors, I know certain things in the spirit realm that when the hedge is built up, there's absolutely, positively, absolutely, positively, I stake my life on it, that you will never have a certain kind of attack when the hedge is built. Sit your neighbor and say, let me be the one that builds the heavenly hedge. Come on, now give God the praise and give Him the glory. Come on, come on. I want you to see this in Ezekiel 22, please. Look at Ezekiel 22 verse 30 and see the comparison in the context It's so close to what we just read in Ezekiel 13. He says, I sought for a man among them that should, what? That should make up the hedge. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none." Going back into Ezekiel 13:5, Notice how closely connected the two texts are. Because Ezekiel is saying, he's, he's prophesying, this is why the glory is lifting. The glory is the hedge. The intercessors would have kept the glory in the city. The Babylonians could have never, ever touched, they could have never touched Jerusalem. When when Sennacherib was ready to invade Jerusalem, and you and I know that King Hezekiah filled the city with supplication and prayer, the hedge was built. He could not attack the city though all the surrounding cities fell though all the surrounding nations fell prey to Sennacherib they could not penetrate Jerusalem because the hedge was still there. Oh, watch this see this dear saints see this dear saints Ezekiel thirteen five. 5 you have not gone up into the gaps neither have you made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the day of battle of the Lord. So here we see Ezekiel 22:30 and Ezekiel 13:5 is almost one complete text. Go with me to Mark 12:1 because Jesus gives the parable. What is the hedge? Well the first thing we see is the hedge is heaven's protection. Say this with me, an intercessor builds the heavenly hedge. So we've already established we've already est- established supernatural step number 1 for the intercessor. The intercessor builds the heavenly hedge. Number two, the intercessor builds the hedge, and the hedge trenches, so the anointing drenches God's ministry. I'm going to explain to you what the trenching and the drenching is. Hello, somebody. You're going to see this. Mark chapter 12, I want you to see it in the Word of God. Jesus begins to speak in parables. And he says, Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, says, And he began to speak to them by parables, saying, A certain man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. Now, you and I have got to understand that the hedge was a place to catch the water. Hello, somebody. It was a place to catch the water so that, that without the hedge... The, the 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 tree could not be destroyed. If there was a hedge there, the, the hedge was the place that trenches so there could be water inside of it. It was a trench, that's what a hedge is. Some of us just think the hedge is the wall. That is not what it means in Scripture. The hedge is something that's been dug up and it's filled with water. And that water is the divine protection the vineyard. If you're with me, say amen. Hallelujah. This is what the scripture says because without the hedge, the work of God and his vineyard will be destroyed. Isaiah 5 verse 5 in Isaiah's parable of the vineyard and Israel is that vineyard. He says, I tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof, and it shall be treading down. So you and I need to see that this hedge is a place that trenches, so the anointing drenches the work of God. It's a, it's a trench built around something so that it can contain and obtain all the anointing that God has for it. I hope somebody's hearing this today. Hallelujah. Now, beloved people, you and I need to understand, if you will turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, I want you to see something in the book of Nehemiah because Nehemiah is one of the most powerful books in the scripture and Nehemiah has actually within it, the whole context is intercession. This is one of the contexts besides rebuilding the ruins. The The personal prophetic meaning of Nehemiah is obviously the promise to rebuild the ruins. But Nehemiah in itself prepares within its context a message of what intercession is. It begins with the supplications of intercession because you and I will see that Nehemiah begins to bear the burden of heaven and he begins to pray not for his petition But he begins to pray for heaven's request because that's what an intercessor does. The roles are reversed. You're going to see that Nehemiah is not going to pray for his needs. He's not going to pray for his family. He's not going to pray for his his work. He's not going to pray for his position. But Nehemiah now is going to hear from heaven and he is going to bear the burden, the roles are going to be reversed. Nehemiah is going to be the receptor of heaven's burden, and he's going to fulfill heaven's burden. He's going to see that heaven's burden is completed and accomplished. So we begin the context, the whole context of the book of Nehemiah is based on intercession. And here we see in Nehemiah chapter one, the Bible says in verse three, and they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down. That means the hedge is broken also. And the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass as I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So now... The role is reversed, and Nehemiah is sovereignly chosen to be the intercessor who is going to agonize before the throne of God because Rizal teaches us that one of the great supernatural steps of intercession is the intercessor begins to agonize the intercessor bears the burden of heaven and bears and hears it, it actually he actually or she actually feels the very feelings of heaven and remember the intercessor in heaven is jesus the bible says that in 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 hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. And he night and day cries out for to, for you and for me at the right hand of the Father. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53 verse 12 that he made intercession for the transgressors. So he is the divine intercessor. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 59 verse 16 that heaven looked and heaven wondered that there was no intercessor so he- heaven provided at his at its right hand the intercessor and Jesus is the one at the right hand according to Isaiah 59 verse 16 that fulfills the interces- the intercession so he fulfills the intercession in heaven but the intercession on earth comes through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit needs a vessel A vessel that will cooperate with the grace of God. A vessel that will become heaven's hedge builder. A vessel that will become heaven's burden bearer. A vessel that will take a role reversal. Touch your neighbor and say a role reversal. Hope somebody's hearing this today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now we're going to go forward, dear people of God. Come on, pray in the Spirit right now. Hallelujah. I want you to continue with me because you're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 11, how... The whole theme of Nehemiah, I'm proving something to you because we're about to get, we're, we're going somewhere with this. I'm showing you how the whole, the whole context of Nehemiah is based on intercession. So we see in Nehemiah 1.4 that when he heard these words, he fasted and he prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah 1.11 says, for I was the king's cupbearer." So he went before God, he went before the king bearing the burden of the king, and every day being the king's cupbearer, he had a, a very glad countenance. But on this particular day, on the day that he's bearing the burden, on the day that he's becoming the heavenly hedge builder, on the day that the roles have been reversed, and he is now carrying the burden of heaven and not his own burden. He presents the cup to the king, but his face is no longer like it had been before. And he could have been put to death for not having the same kind of countenance that he had always before the king. But the scripture says in Nehemiah 1.11, the last line, for I was the king's cup bearer the cup bearer means the bearer of burdens someone who's going to bear heaven's burdens someone who is going to take the cup and present it before the king in intercession that's what an intercessor is so we see how Nehemiah begins with intercession in Nehemiah 1 4 and how the king's cup bearer is in Nehemiah 1:11. Now I want you to continue in the context, because as we we continue in the context, the third step that you and I are going to see here in Nehemiah is that the intercessor becomes God's gatekeeper. Say this with me, God's gatekeeper. And as you continue to see in the book of Nehemiah, the Bible says, as Nehemiah begins to build the walls, hallelujah, the the Bible begins to tell us how the gatekeepers Build up the wall of God. And let's read Nehemiah chapter one, uh, chapter three, verse one. The scripture goes on to tell us, now Eliseab, the high priest rose up with his brethren and the priests, and they builded the sheep gate, and they sanctified it, and they set the doors thereof, even unto the tower of Mia, and they sanctified it unto the tower of Hananiel. Now what we need to see here dear people of God, is that we're going to see that there are 10 gates. Now, in Jerusalem, modern Jerusalem, there are 12 gates. Book of Revelation tells us that the new Jerusalem has 12 gates. But the gates in the time of Nehemiah had 10 gates. And these 10 gates represent the ministry of the intercessor. Each one of these gates give us a revelation of the work of the intercessor each one of these gates because because through the gates the people enter into the city and through the intercessor the people of god come into the presence and the promises of god can i get a witness somewhere hallelujah i want you to turn with me to second kings 11 verse 1. And I want you to see how in 2 Kings chapter 11, how that there were gatekeepers who protected the king and protected the royal city. 2 Kings chapter 11 verse 1 says, And when Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead she arose and destroyed all of the seed royal verse 2 says the last line says and they hid him this is being the the seed royal they hid him and his nurse in the bedchamber from ataliah so he was not slain verse 2 part b says they hid him this is what an intercessor does the intercessor shelters and protects the seed of god The intercessor hides. Verse 5 says, And they commanded them, saying, This thing shall you do. A third part of you shall enter in on the Sabbath and shall be keepers of the watch of the king's house. Say this with me. I want to be a keeper of the watch of the king's house. And a third part of you shall be at the gate behind the guard. So these are the gatekeepers. And a third part shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord that it not be broken down. So here we see that as they were protecting the king from Ataliah, who wanted to destroy, they were building up the hedge, amen? They were building up, they were the gatekeepers of God. Now I want you to see, dear people of God, what Psalm 118 verse 20 says. For the Bible says, the gate of the Lord into which is the gate in which the righteous shall enter into. So the intercessor is the keeper of the gate. Amen? The first gate that needs to be built by the intercessor is the sheep gate. And the Bible tells us in Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1 that they builded the sheep gate. Now you and I need to understand that the sheep gate is the gate by which all the offerings came into the house of God. They couldn't enter in through any other gate. And the gate, the sheep gate represents the gate that is immersed in the blood of Jesus. So we have to understand that the intercessor has to build the protection and the hedge through the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 10 verse 9, he says, I am the door in which you should enter, and any who enter in shall be saved. Amen? So we understand this. Let's look at the second gate because as you continue on in the book of Nehemiah, the Bible tells us, chapter, chapter 3, verse 2, And the next unto him builded the men of Jericho, and the next unto them builded Zechar, verse 3. But the fish gate did the sons of Hananiah build. So here we see the first gate that's built is the sheep gate, which represents how the intercessor covers in the blood and how... The sacrifice is done through Jesus Christ. Secondly, the intercessor builds up the fish gate. The fish gate is the gate by which the fish enter into. The fish gate is the souls. The intercessor has the power to release souls into the kingdom of God. The fish gate is how the intercessor brings souls from the nations into the kingdom. Hello, somebody. Hallelujah. This is what the Bible says about the fish. In Ezekiel forty seven, verse nine, it says, And it shall come to pass that everything that liveth and moveth, whithersoever the river shall come, shall live. That's what the intercessor does. And they shall and there shall be filled a very great multitude of fish. Fish, because of the waters that shall come thither. So every one of the intercessors in this ministry have the responsibility to build up the fish gate, to build up the call for souls, to build up the call for the nations, to call the souls in from around the world into the kingdom. To pray for the Arab television. To pray for souls on the mission field. To pray for souls in Africa. I'm sorry if this doesn't concern your personal need right now, but you've got to go with where the spirit that god is leading him so if you just came for yours and yours today you have to understand that the power of intercession is going to release you into a new anointing hallelujah hallelujah continuing on in nehemiah 3 6 so the first gate is the sheep gate that the intercessor builds up the gate for sacrifices and that the intercessor covers the ministries in the blood of Jesus. The second gate is the fish gate, which causes souls to flood into the ministry. The third gate is the gate, the, the old gate. Moreover, verse six, the old gate repaired Jehoiada. Now the old gate, we need to understand, there is a gate referred to as the old gate because it was the oldest gate in the city. But the old gate has to do with what God has promised in the past that he wants to bring forth into the present. The intercessor has to go forward into the scriptures and pull out the promises that God has ordained before the worlds began for the ministry of God And they pray at the old gate. They call forth the things that God has ordained. They call forth the ancient promises of God. They call forth that which was predestined before the foundations of the world. And they make it a reality. So we see how the gate is sanctified through through the sheep gate. Then the intercessor builds up the fish gate and the intercessor as the gatekeeper builds up the old gate the old gate are those promises that God made before the foundations of the world the predestined purpose the predestined promise the things that God is saying need to be done in his house the things of old that he wants to do that have not yet come forth yet I hope somebody's hearing this today hallelujah say this with me Lord I want to build the old gate hallelujah I want to see the old gate built up hallelujah Nehemiah 413 is the fourth gate the intercessor builds up the valley gate and it's repaired the Bible tells us continuing on in the context as we see looking at verse 13 Nehemiah 313 and the scripture says, and the valley gate repaired Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah. So we need to understand that the valley gate was repaired. Hallelujah. And this is the gate, the valley gate is where it's likened into a place where the ministries passed through death. The valley gate. It's got to be repaired. Because the valley gate is the place that when the ministry is passing through trials and tribulations. The intercessor builds up the valley gate so that we can pass through into still waters into the rest of God. Hello, somebody. The the intercessor prays at the valley gate saying, Lord, this is a time of test. This is a time of tribulation. But lead your saints along into the place of rest and into the place of still waters, into a place out of the valley of the shadow of death. I hope somebody's hearing this today. It is the gate where we die to self. It's where the intercessor upholds the ministry of God through every trial and every tribulation. Hallelujah. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil because you are with me. So we see the sheep gate, we see the fish gate, we see the old gate, and we see the valley gate. Hallelujah. The fifth gate is the dung gate. And the intercessor, you find this in Nehemiah 3, 14, the next verse, it says, but the dung gate repaired Maka'iah, now you need to understand Nehemiah's mission as the main intercessor is repairing all the gates, he's sanctifying all the gates, because once the walls built, the enemies cannot mock, the enemies can no longer raid. The enemies can no longer ransack. The enemies can no longer take the treasures out of the house of God. So heaven is looking for a Nehemiah who's going to build up the hedge. Heaven is looking for Nehemiah that's going to be a wall builder. Heaven is looking for Nehemiahs that will be the king's cupbearers, that will reverse the roles so that the work of God can continue on. Can I get a witness somewhere? The Dung Gate, Nehemiah 3.14, but the Dung Gate repaired Malachiah. Now the Dung Gate is the refuse gate and actually nothing was allowed in the city that was refuse. Everything had to go outside the gate. No, no refuse was allowed in the city. It's a clean place, it was a holy place because it was the place where the temple was. So everything's dumped at the refuse gate. And you and I need to understand that the intercessor has to go through a purification process through the love of God and that without passing through this gate you can't come into his presence because this is the gate that leads into the presence of God this is a state of prayer where one takes one's thoughts that are not good thoughts thoughts of vanity thoughts of self-centeredness thoughts that keep one in bondage unable to enter into the holy of holies this is why the Bible says in Psalm 24 verses 3 and 4 Lord who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord or who's going to stand in your holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart who's not lifted up his soul to vanity amen this is why psalm 26 verse 2 says examine me O lord try my reins and try my heart so we need need to understand that we need to empty out all of the vanity so that we can come into the place of his holy presence H- amen the sixth gate found in nehemiah 3:15, continuing on in the context but the gate of the fountain repaired shalom the son of Koheza. Now you and I need to understand that the fountain gate is a very important gate because the fountains represent unstopping the wells. The intercessor has been given a burden, not only at the old gate to call forth the promises of God, and this is how it it would be, When intercessors are on the phone praying, intercessors are agreeing together, they could say, Holy Spirit, take me in the Spirit to the old gate and begin to start revealing to me as I open the Word of God how to pray for breath of the Spirit. What are some of the scriptures, Lord, that you have given us before the foundations of the world? What are some of the scriptures that you have ordained for this work in the end times? And then as you stand in the spirit outside the walls of the heavenly Jerusalem, before you are entered, ushered into his presence, you begin to agree together and the Holy Spirit begins to show you the scriptures at the old gate of predestined purpose of the predestined plan of God, you begin to pray those scriptures of the predestined plan of god and you begin to enter into god's presence through the old gate others of you will say god i'm standing today at the fish gate my burden is for souls in the arab world show me lord god give me somebody to agree with that i can begin to start praying for breath of the spirit at the fish gate (laughs) begin to start showing me the river and where it's going to go and how souls are going to go out to the ends of the earth show me where this river is
0: headed is it headed God, bring the sacrifices into the house of the Lord. Oh God, bring the servants to serve
1: you. Let there be a greater consecration and a greater dedication. And somehow when you're standing at the sheep gate, because you're in the presence of God, you are ushered in to the city. You are ushered in to the place of his presence because you're standing at the gate. Others of you will be the intercessor who says, Oh, God, nobody wants to go to the Dung Gate. Nobody wants to enter the city through the Dung Gate, but I'll be a Nehemiah because this is the gate that Nehemiah entered into so it's not a gate of judgment it's not a gate of saying oh God I think I'll stand at the dung gate and start judging breath of the spirit for every little thing I can find no the Bible tells us when Nehemiah came in that he entered by night and he entered in through the dung gate some of you have an anointing that you're calling to pray at the dung gate to pray that all of the pain and all of the hurt and all of the refuse be left outside and say God all of the scars and all of the tears and all of the suffering of the past needs to be left in the past, enter me into the presence of God through the dung gate. (laughs) Someday when you get up to pray, you may be praying at the dung gate. But then tomorrow, he may say, I want you at the sheep gate. Then the next day, he may say, you know, you've got an anointing to pray at the old gate. That's where your anointing is. And the minute you step near the gold gate, you begin to sanctify the gate. And you begin to enter in through that gate into the presence of the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 24, lift up your heads, oh, ye gates, that the King of glory may come in. Don't you understand that the gate is the place of his presence? Lift up your heads, oh, ye gates. Open your everlasting doors that the king of glory might come in. We don't know how to stand at the gate. We don't know how to be the gatekeeper. We don't understand that if we can just get to the gate, we can get into his presence. See, if we can find... Today he may say Old Gate. Tomorrow he may say Fish Gate. The next day he may say Dung Gate. The next day he may say Sheep Gate. The next day he may say Valley Gate, Valley Gate. They're going through the valley. Valley gate, valley gate, lead them to the still waters. And the moment you stand at the gate, something happens because you're opening the gate. You're opening the gate. And so the king of glory is now coming in with his healing, with his anointing, with his power, with his deliverance, with all that is within him. He's ready to raise the dead. He's ready to heal the sick. But he needs somebody to open up the gate. Somebody needs to give God the praise. Touch your neighbor and say, will you be the vessel that opens the gate? See, the fountain gate is so important because so many people just expect what they got yesterday. They're living on leftovers from an old anointing. Wells are stopped up. Spirit of God wants to do something he wants to move in a new way he says today i've called you to the fountain gate the fountain gate means the well has to be redug the fountain gate says out of that well is going to come a spring so you've got to stand at the fountain and you've got to redig the wells and understand that it's not yesterday's anointing, it's not what God did five years ago, it's not what God did six months ago, and you can't sit there and weep over the way things used to be, you've got to press in to the new thing that God is doing, and he needs an intercessor right now to stand at the fountain gate that will say, God, let there be a move of God, let the fountain come forth, bring forth a well." Touch your neighbor and say, Spring up a well. Hallelujah. And stop the wells. This is why Genesis 26, verse 15 says, For the wells which his fathers had digged in the days of Abraham's fathers. The Philistines had stopped them up and filled them with earth. So some of us are stuck in that old way. We're stuck in an old anointing, but the fountain gate speaks of allowing God and praying for God to begin to move in the new anointing of His spirit. Hallelujah. Then the, the ninth gate, hallelujah. Let's continue on. Praise you Jesus. The ninth gate is found in the 26th chapter or the, the 26th verse, Nehemiah 3:26. Hallelujah. The Bible says, Moreover, the Nethanims dwelt in Ophel unto a place against the water gate toward the east and the tower that lieth out. I think we skipped a gate. I think we skipped. Which gate did we skip? We skipped. Okay, we have the fountain gate. Okay. Hallelujah. Oh yes. Well, which gate did we skip? We've got the seventh gate. This is the water gate then, not the ninth gate. I can't even read my own writing. Nehemiah three twenty six moreover the Nethanim dwelt at Ophel unto the place over against the water gate. I am so glad you're paying attention. In a literal sense, you and I need to understand this is the place that the Nethinims built. Who are the Nethinims? The Nethinim were the woodcutters for the Levites. They were the servants. They helped the Levites prepare all the sacrifices. Now, you know, the Levites were the servants to the priests, but the Nethinims were the servants to the Levites, and they were the water carriers. They cut the wood... And they carried the water, and especially during the time of the rebuilding of the temple and the rebuilding of the wall, at this particular time, at the water gate, the Nethanims would bring the wood in so that the, the gate could be rebuilt, and they brought in the water. And the Nethanim dwelt at Ophel. Now, Ophel, if you want to know what it is, first of all, it is the place where the kings, the, in the city of David, David built a little a little strip of land outside of his palace in Jerusalem. He built a little strip of land called Ophel. And this is where all of his children lived. They all had individual houses. This is where he kept his wives, and this is where he kept his children, in Ophel, in a, in a, in a strip of land right there outside his own palace. And the Nethinims would protect the children of the king as they slept and as they did their duties, the nethanims, and it was right there by the water gate. So here we need to understand that the water gate represents, first of all, the intercessor, who is like the nethanim, who are the woodcutters. You carry the cross. Hello, somebody. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm the woodcutter. I carry the cross in the ministry through prayer. They are the water carriers. This means they provide the anointing. They are the suppliers of the Spirit of God. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 19, you are the suppliers of the Spirit, suppliers of the Spirit of God. So at the watergate, you supply the Spirit, you supply the anointing, you are the woodcutters, you cut down the wood, and you carry the cross of the ministry through prayer and through the burden of prayer. And because you're at the water gate near Ophel, you are covering the king's children, the royal priesthood, those who are sleeping, those who are resting, those who are ready to come in to the promises of God every one of God's children who come into this ministry are like the princes and like the princesses who are sleeping on Ophel but God needs an intercessor that lives at the water gate and there may be a day that God st- says to you today I want you to stand in intercession for me at the water gate I want you to be a supplier of the spirit I want you to begin to start issuing the anointing issue the anointing for the spirit today issue the anointing for the Elijah Institute." to the anointing for Wednesday night Bible study. Stand before me at the water gate and begin to become a supplier of the spirit, a carrier of the water for the work of God to be done. Come on somebody. Hallelujah. The eighth gate is the horse gate. Nehemiah 328. From above the horse gate Repaired the priests, everyone, over against his house. Now, you and I need to understand this is a very powerful gate. The horse gate was only used in battle. Every time they go out to war, they had to exit through the horse gate. For example, if I was in Jerusalem, I was part of David's army, I could not exit through the water gate and go to war. If I was in Jerusalem, and we're going to fight the Ammonites, we exit through the horse gate. All of the warriors go in a certain gate, and they come out a certain gate. And always, when they come back from war, when there's victory, and there always is victory when David was in God's will. There was never a time that Israel was not in victory because it was never god's will his perfect will for israel to lose a battle and so if they because of disobedience came out of, of of a battle and they didn't get the victory it was because they didn't listen to god but every time they listened to the spirit of god and they fought with the high priest of israel directing them Uh, in which way to go, they would go to the direction that the high priest was directing them through the horse gate, and when they came in, it was always victory through the horse gate. They would come in, and the maidens would be waiting. All of Israel would be cheering at the horse gate. Now I want you to know that when it's time for war, when it's time to declare war on the devil, when it's time to say you've taken just about enough, we're not going to take this anymore, devil. We're commanding you to get out of the house of God. We are commanding you. We are are now getting the troops ready. God needs an intercessor to stand at attention at the horse gate and to open the gate so that the angelic hosts can join with heaven on earth and go to battle. Hallelujah. This is why. In 1 Samuel 18:6, they greeted David and said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. It was at the horse gate. Now the ninth gate is the east gate. Now these gates, the ninth and the tenth gate, become holier and holier because it's like the intercessor is getting lifted higher and higher and higher, coming into greater dimensions and depths of ministry, beginning with the blood. Of Jesus. Now we're at the ninth gate, another level in which the intercessor presses in to the presence of God. And he is the keeper of the east gate. And the Bible tells us in Nehemiah 3.29, the Bible says, And them that repaired Zadok, the son of Emer, over against his house, and after him repaired Shemaiah, Shemaiah, which means heaven, has the name of heaven, the name of heaven in it, and the name of God in it, Shem, Hashem Mishforash. The name of Shekaniah, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gate. Now, the east gate, the keeper of the east gate is the one, is, there be times as an intercessor, God may say, today I want you at the old gate, and they're saying, today I want you at the water gate, I want you to redig the wells. Today, we had intercessors at the Watergate. They were redigging digging wells in the city of Long Beach for a work that got stopped short. Okay? But it's about to start up again. Hello, somebody. And what, what ended not at the right timing is going to pick up now, and we're going to pick it up and finish it. Hello, somebody. But you don't know it's God's will, what he wants to do, if you haven't gone to the old gate first to get the word on it and to ask God what is the predestined plan concerning this thing, so the gates of glory are open, so that the work of God is being accomplished, so that when the gate opens, the king enters in. And now we see at this particular gate The east gate, this is the gate that the glory comes in. And the Bible always tells us that the keeper of the east gate speaks of how the uninterrupted fellowship comes into the ministry of God. It's like the gate of Adam because the Bible always comes in. This is what the Bible says, or the glory always comes in through the east. The Bible says in Genesis 2.9, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had made. Hallelujah. And the Bible says in Genesis three twenty four, part B, and he placed east at Eden in the garden, cherubims with a flaming sword. So now we're going up higher in the kingdom. Amen. So eastward be, speaks of being called to the gate of the Holy of Holies, where the anointing is going to come in. Where the glory is going to be open for the whole ministry to experience. So you may have to say, Lord, take me to the east gate today to pray. And the final gate is the corner gate. And this is what you need to see because everything in the holy place is four cornered. I want you to see this. Look at Ezekiel chapter, or Nehemiah 3, verse 31. Here's the tenth gate. Part B of verse 31 says, over against the gate of Mikvad, going up to the corner. Mikvad in Hebrew is referring to the corner gate. Now, in a prophetic sense of Scripture, it wouldn't mean too much to anybody just saying, why would I pray at the corner gate? What does that mean? Standing at the corner? No. In a Hebrew sense of Scripture, the corner gate has to do with that which is in the Holy of Holies because everything is cornered and squared. And the Scripture makes a specific enunciation of how things are to have a corner, the four-cornered garments of the priest and the four corners of the ark. For example, Exodus 25, verse 12 says, you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put it in the four corners thereof. Exodus 25, verse 26, the table of showbread. This is the ark. Now you're going to the table of showbread. Thou shalt make four rings of gold and put two rings in the four corners. And the altar of incense that's in the holy place is also four-cornered. Exodus 27, verse 27 says, Thou shalt make up the horns upon it, and thou shalt make four corners thereof. So you and I need to understand that the tabernacle itself is four-cornered, the ark is four-cornered, the table of uh, showbread is four-cornered, the altar of incense is four-cornered. These are not in the outer court. These are in the inner court and in the holy of holies. So the place the intercessor ends. That place the intercessor ends his ministry is in the holy of holies in the corner gate in the place of his presence so you begin with the blood and you enter through all the dimensions of intercession and prayer and you end in the holy of holies i hope somebody's hearing this today
0: thank you for joining us today it is our prayer that this word broke bondages and will open doors for you If you have never received Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, invite him now to be your Lord and Savior and best friend. Repeat this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be the Lord of my life. Wash me clean from all my sins. I accept you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon.